good-looking bunch of people we have over here. Now, this side, I, I'm sorry, but no, 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 there's a few of you over here too, but uh, it's, it's, good. <laughs> it's good to see you today. How many did something fun on spring break? One person. Okay. Two people. Okay. How many did something? How many, how many went somewhere? So you went somewhere and it wasn't fun. Okay. So how many stayed here and, 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 and just had to work all week, right? But how many, let me, let me ask this, when spring break comes, even if you're not in school, doesn't something kick in inside you that says like, yeah, it's spring break that's kind of freeing? Not when it's 31 degrees outside. Not when it's 31 degrees outside. Okay, okay, that's fair. And snowing, right? I think we had a little bit of snow the other day, all right? But I don't know. There's something in me that just, you know, when spring break hits, it's like, hey, it's spring break, you know? And I don't know why because, you know, I'm still here and I'm still working and all of that, but there's just something inside. Maybe it's the promise of summer, promise of summer that's coming. And I know it doesn't feel like it when it's 31 degrees outside, but all right? You what? In two days, it's spring. All right, that's right. In two days. Tuesday, it'll be spring, first day of spring. Is it going to feel like it, though? No. Indiana. That's Indiana for you. <laughs> I can remember, you know, um, and I don't know, when I was younger, we never went anywhere for spring break. We always stayed home, but spring was always warmer than what is now. It seems like it's getting colder now. So speaking of growing up, um, little segue there into what I want to talk about. Growing up in the 70s, all right, and I know that was before some of you were even born, so you don't have to say that, but growing up in the 70s, um, before the days of reality TV, before the days of like, the, the shows like, you know, uh, uh, The Voice or American Idol and all this, we had these shows, we just called them variety shows. Anybody remember any of those? What were your favorite variety show? Carol Burnett, that's got to be at the top of anybody's list. That's awesome. She was hilarious. I loved her and Tim Conway and, and Harvey Korman, the whole bunch. Okay, who else? Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan, that's another one, right up toward the top, right up toward the top. He always had a, a, yeah, a, a really good shoe, you know? He always had a really good shoe. And, <clears throat> he what? He did bring in the Beatles. Yeah, that was the Beatles, you know, uh, American debut was on his show. All right. And then nothing's been the same ever since. Any, any others? Red Skelton. Ooh, yeah, you're showing your age. Red Skelton. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and, and somebody else? We won't talk about Lawrence Welk. Um, <laughs> you know. The, the, the bubble man, you know, I, you know, okay, I guess, you know, that was more like, sorry, Pam, but that was more like my parents' show. For some reason, Lisa likes it too, but, you know, anyway, who, who, what else? Sonny and Cher, all right, Sonny and Cher, good one, good one. Donnie and Marie, yeah, and the, and the Osmonds, okay. Boy, we're getting into some others here. What? Any? Any? Any others? I thought I heard another one over here. Flip Wilson. 
Now, the big question there is, did the devil really make him do it, or did he have his own choice? That's the question with Flip Wilson. And somebody else had their hand up. Jackie Gleason. Oh, my goodness. Jackie. I know it's not politically correct, but I love Jackie Gleason. He was, you know, and uh, his show. <laughs> Hee-haw. <laughs> yeah, that's not one that I watched more than two minutes of. Uh, but it was there. Now, on, on, you know, and there's, there's Rowan and Martin's laughing. There's, you know, um, all, the Smothers Brothers comedy hour and all that. All right. There was one act that I know was on the Ed Sullivan Show. In fact, you can still look it up uh, on YouTube. Not right now. But um, you'll find it. And uh, it was where a guy would come out on stage there's a table here, and, and he has these long sticks, these long, thin, like, dowel rods, poles. And he would start, put a plate on top of one, and he would start spinning it. He would get another one and start spinning it, hold up another stick and start spinning a plate on that, go back to the first one, keep it spinning, and the second, spin it a little more, and the third, and spin it a little more, get another one going. Pretty soon, he had like eight or ten plates going all at once, spinning on these sticks, and he's running back and forth between them, trying to keep them spinning to keep them from just crashing down to the floor. In fact, this one, this one uh, uh, um, episode. There's one time this, this one guy did it. He's got all these plates, and while he's doing that, he's also got these like teacups or coffee cups, whatever, that he's stacking over here. He's stacking cups and spinning plates, stacking cups and spinning plates, and trying to keep them all going without any of them crashing down. Now, how many have seen that, at least the spinning plates part? All right, several of you. If you haven't, you've got to watch it. Go to YouTube. Just look up plate spinning on sticks or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. Well, that's kind of what inspired me to give this message the title, The Chaos of Spinning Plates, because um, we are in week three of our series, Immovable. And it's all about learning to stand our ground in a culture of what? Chaos. I'm talking about a culture of chaos. And, and just it, it, chaos just surrounds this culture that we live in. In week one, we dealt with the, dealing with the chaos that we tend to create for ourselves. Every single one of us, even the best of us, every single one of us, I should say the best of you because I'm not by any means included in that. But, you know, we, we all, every one of us invites chaos into our lives to some degree through decisions we make, through actions we take, um, uh, we, we invite a certain amount of chaos. And it could be just willful disobedience. You know, God says, do this. Say, nope, don't like that. I'm going to go do this. It, it, or, or sometimes just through misguided or unwise decisions we make. But we invite chaos into our lives. And we talked about the need for, you know, for going in and confronting the chaos head on. Uh, asking you know, right questions and listening to the right people and then taking the right steps and follow-up and so forth and, and how to deal with the chaos that we create for ourselves. Last week, we talked about dealing with chaos that we encounter as we go through life. We just encounter chaos in the world around us. And that even when things happen uh, outside of our, our realm of influence, 
and control, we need to acknowledge, you know, as we get, enter this chaos, we need to acknowledge that God is ultimately in control of even the most out-of-control situations. And if you were here and you remember, we looked at Paul's shipwreck that, he, that toward the end, of the, the end of the book of Acts, his shipwreck, you know, and, and the whole experience he went through was totally out of his control, but, you know, it, it, he was just surrounded by chaos. And we have to acknowledge that ultimately God is in control of even the most out-of-control situations. And then we need to confront the chaos. And sometimes that involves taking charge of those areas in which we can take charge. And then doing our part in, in, you know, to correct things and to make things right, even when we feel like the problem is so much bigger than we are. You know, the shipwreck thing with Paul was so much bigger than... He was, but he, he entered into it, he, he, he took charge, even though he, he wasn't in control of it. You know, God was in control, but, but he, he, he took charge of the situation and did what he could and, uh, you know, dealt with the chaos that way. Today we're talking about the chaos of spinning plates. Talking about the chaos we experience in day in and day out lives where we have more to do than we can possibly get done and it keeps growing. And it feels like we're just running back and forth, keeping these plates spinning on poles so they don't come crashing to the ground. Have you ever been there? You know, you've got like three or four, five maybe, you know, big things that you've got to do this, the, you know, t t t today. You know, just, you know, three or four, you know, big things that you've got. If you don't get anything else done, you got to get these things done. And then somebody else comes along and puts 10 more things on you that you got to get done. And you're looking at your day and you're thinking, there's no way that I can keep all this going. And not only does it happen one day, but then when you look at a week, you've got the same thing multiplied by, you know, several times. And you just look at your life and it's like there is just no way to keep, you know, that I can keep spinning these plates and, and you know, everything's going to come crashing to the ground. It's not only stressful, it's extremely frustrating because for one thing it means that things that matter don't get done. The things that matter aren't getting done. You know, maybe, you know, the, you know, plates are, or you, maybe you're seeing them beginning to crash. You know, you're not able to keep that first one spinning anymore, so that's crashed down. You're working on this one over here, keeping it going, but, but you know, this one over here is crashing. Today, we're going to look at a story that happens in the early days of the church. In fact, literally, like the first year or so of the church's existence. Church was brand new. Church was filled with power, filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. God was moving among people every day. They were growing, lives were changing, and as a result, there was more and more continually that needed to be done. And as they grew, you know, more needs arose, more things had to be tended to. It was up to the, up to the apostles then to find a way to cover everything that needed to be done. See, when we're faced with a challenge, we're expected to do our part. You know, we can't just, some challenge comes in, we can't just say, you know, close our eyes and say, oh, you know, let God handle it. Because, you know, his response will basically be, you know, you got to handle this. 
you manage this. I'm bringing these blessings or I'm bringing these opportunities. I'm bringing some things your way, but I want you to learn how to handle it, how to manage it. It's up to you to manage them well. Let me set up the story. Since the day of Pentecost, the church had exploded with growth. Now, one of the things that you see all throughout the Scripture, all throughout the Bible, is that God really cares for and His heart really goes out to those that are less well-off than others, those that are poor, those that you know, don't have as much, those that are marginalized, those that are in need. You know, the Old Testament, you see it all the time. You know, one of these days, I'm going to go through the Old Testament and start marking every single scripture that has anything to do with God's heart for the poor, with God's heart for those who, who, are, uh, who are forgotten or who are marginalized, who, those who are in need. Both, you know, it's all throughout the Old Testament, both the Israelites as well as those from other countries that were living among them. We need to hear that. Those, the Israelites, as well as those from other countries that were living among them. Now, it was a responsibility of God's people to see that they were cared for and that they were provided for. And it's the same thing in the New Testament. In Paul's travels, you know, in fact, he challenged, you know, the churches as he traveled around, you know, planting churches. He challenged them to take up special offering because this famine was hitting Jerusalem. Or, and and he, he said, you know, we've got to take care of our brothers and sisters there. We've got to take care of them during this famine. So he challenged all the churches, you know, besides your regular giving, we're taking up a special offering. We're going to take it to our, our brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. See, taking care of those in need is simply something the church is to do. Now, there are some guidelines and there are some stipulations. You know, if somebody was able to work, they couldn't just expect to freeload off the church. You know, if you could work, you were expected to work. But if you were legitimately in need, then, you know, God's people would jump in to help. One of those groups in particular was widows. One of those groups in particular was widows. At this time, now, most of the believers in the, in the early church were Jews, and they fell into two categories. There were the local Palestinian Jews who uh, you know, uh, still spoke their Hebrew or Aramaic language, and then there were also Greek-speaking Jews, those who had converted to Judaism. Because remember, at this time, there wasn't you know, this Judaism here and Christianity here the Christian faith came out of the Jewish faith, came out of Judaism because, you know, Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. So at first, you know, it was just, it was another sect or branch of, of Judaism as they were, you know, they were Jews who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Okay, there's a little bit more of a distinction here now, but that's how, you know, how, how the church, you know, started. So you have these two groups here, and, and the second group, <coughs> second group is the focal point of our, uh, of today's story, because some of them started complaining about being overlooked as the food was distributed to the widows every day, Okay. There's the context. Now let's read the story. It it's, uh, starts off the beginning of Acts chapter 6. 
But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there's that growth, okay? All of a sudden, they're just booming with growth, and, and that's going to bring some changes, that's some challenges. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So you got one group of believers saying, hey, you know, our widows in, in our group aren't getting, you know, the food all the time. Deliveries are late, or deliveries aren't there, and, or, you know, th- th- this group over here is getting, you know, the quality stuff, and we're getting the leftovers, whatever it was, you know. They were complaining about it, saying they were being discriminated against. So the 12, the apostles, the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll give, them this re- we'll give them this responsibility, and then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Have you ever had something that you had to get done, and you're working on it, but it seems like every time you sat down to work on it, something came along, someone else comes along, or something comes along and says, hey, you need to take care of this. You need to deal with this. You need to take care of this. So you're constantly, you know, you're trying to get something done. You're constantly getting pulled away. Anybody, that happened to anybody? Constantly getting pulled away, and you're thinking, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, I've I got to get back to this, but yet I've got to do this. That's what's going on here. Now, the apostles' response was in no way saying that the distribution of food was not important or was below them or anything else. It just, there's, there's not a hint of that. In fact, they recognized how important it really was. The issue was that it's like, hey, we can't do everything ourselves. We can't do this alone. When you have too much you're trying to do, it's like keeping the plates spinning, trying to keep the plates spinning, and you can only spin so many. I've seen people spin 8, 10, maybe 12 plates. I've not seen anyone spinning 20 or 30 or 40 plates because there are only so many plates you can keep spinning because sooner or later something is going to happen and they're all going to come crashing down. And maybe that describes your life right now. You know, you're trying to keep all these plates spinning so they don't come crashing down. Then somebody comes along and says, here's another stick and here's another plate. Go to it. If that's you, I want to give you three things I just I want you to look out for. Three things I just want you to watch for and, and, and keep an eye out for. 
And the first of these is keep an eye out for uncovered bases. If this is beginning to describe your life, keep an eye out for uncovered bases. Verse 1, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Rumblings of discontent. Maybe they weren't really picking up on anything yet. Maybe they weren't really sensing anything. But there's this gut feeling there's something going on, and, and, and they're, they're, they're picking up. They're picking up. And, 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 and maybe it's even hard to pinpoint at times. Church I used to belong to, I remember one time, um, there was a lot of just grumbling, and there was a lot of, you know, um, um, stuff going on uh, that, that was... The atmosphere of the place, you walk in it, and it was, a, it, it, there, it was rumblings of discontent. One of the deacons got mad, and nobody knows anybody, nobody here knows any of these people, so. But one of the deacons got upset and decided to leave. And the pastor's like, see you later. And I'm sitting there thinking, because I'm kind of helping out, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a... A, a, a lay leader in the church, and, and you know, I'm thinking, but hey, you know, you, you got to go after him. You got to go talk to him. Bring, you know, talk to him, sense to him. I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> this is Tom, you know, that was his name. This is Tom, you know, it's like you got to go after him. And he said, no, I don't feel like I'm supposed to. So the pastor, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm thinking, you're wrong. But he was a pastor, I wasn't. So I, you know, you're, you're. something happened in the next few weeks. The rumbling stopped. The discontent left. And there was such a peace and unity interesting thing because of one person's effect and I hadn't planned on sharing any of this so I don't know where this is coming from but just you know um, and then the, the, the end of the story is after a while he came back and he said you know I was wrong I'm sorry and was faithful as could be loyal as could be the spirit in the church was so good and it was so, you know, um, peaceful. Nobody would have thought. Anyway, um, so it ended up good, but um, rumblings of discontent, you know. Um, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. The situation here was an uncovered base. Something that mattered was slipping through the cracks. Something that mattered needed to be addressed. And it was a serious matter that had been overlooked, and it could not be overlooked anymore. The apostles... You know, they could have dismissed the complaint. 
with, you know, something along the lines of, well, you know, yeah, no matter what you do, somebody's going to find something wrong with it. Somebody's going to find something to gripe about. They could have said that because it, 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 it's true. There's always somebody that's not going to like something, even when, you know, uh, their, you know, complaint has, has, you know, no validity. You know, there's always something. It's just human nature, right? You know? But this is where discernment is needed because sometimes it's just whining, but sometimes, other times, it's a legitimate issue, a legitimate complaint that needs to be addressed. And we, you, when that's the case, you can't just ignore it and hope it's going to go away, especially when you're the one responsible for the area in question. Just because you're busy, just because you've got a lot on your plate, doesn't give permission to ignore the needs of others or to ignore problematic situations. But neither does it mean that everything that's brought to you is your responsibility to take on. And some of us need to hear that. There's discernment that's needed. And by keeping an eye out for uncovered bases, you're not going to be caught off guard when things come up, when something's brought to your attention. Okay, yeah, I, 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 I think I've been seeing that. I think I've been sensing that. In addition, no matter how hectic things may be, it just might be when another stick and plate is handed to you that God's bringing an opportunity your way. Say, we already got several plates spinning. Well, it may just may be God's bringing this opportunity. And the situation with the widows and the distribution of food you know, may have looked like one more distraction, pulling the apostles away from what they were trying to do. But the truth was, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for the church to get better and more efficient at serving others. So the apostles chose seven men, appointed them as deacons, servants of the church, appointed them with the, the, with the charge of, of taking charge of the uh, distribution of food so that no one is left out, no one is slighted, no one is treated differently than anyone else. They came up with a plan because, uh, with, with this plan because of the second thing I want you to see today, and that is in order to deal with the chaos of having too much, we also need to keep an eye out for solutions that won't compete with our priorities. Okay? Look for a solution that doesn't compete with your priorities. Something other than you doing everything. Verse 2, so the 12 called a meeting the believers. They said, you know, we, we apostles, we need to spend our time teaching the word of God. We can't be running a food program. You know, priority one for them was to teach and preach the Word of God. So they said, in effect, yeah, this is a problem. It needs to be addressed. It's a legitimate issue. Um, but our top priority is preaching and teaching the Word of God. And if we devote all of our time to overseeing the distribution of food, then, you know, as important as that ministry is, and we're not going to have time to tend to the things that God wants us to do, the things that He's called us to do above everything else, and that is preaching the Word. See, it's not that preaching was more important than, than, than the distribution of food or the preaching was more important than you know, seeing to the needs of others. It wasn't that at all. Both needed to be done, but the apostles themselves couldn't do it all. So they came up with a plan that didn't compete with 
their top priority of, of, of preaching the word. Here's what I'm saying. When our schedules become too full, we often allow ourselves to become distracted from priority one. And priority one for the apostles was preaching the word. Close second was the daily distribution of those in need, but they couldn't do both. Yet both had to be done. So they came up with a plan that allowed for both to be done. I want to suggest this. If your plate is too full or you got too many plates spinning, there is a solution that doesn't involve just dismissing the needs of others and that doesn't involve you just setting aside the things that are supposed to be a priority, the things that are supposed to be top priority in your life. There is a solution. And if you look for it, you'll find it. If you look for it, you'll find it. And often it comes in the form of the third thing I want you to see today. And that is I want you to, you know, we, we need to keep an eye out for what others have to offer. You keep an eye out for what others have to offer. In other words, look for gifts, look for potential, look for the people around you and say, okay, who can help with some of this? Who can help with some of this? Not who can I pass off the, pri the, the um, priorities to, but who can help with some of this other stuff, some of these other plates? The apostle said in verse 3, and so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this responsibility. They're saying, here's a job. It desperately needs to be done. We need to address this. And so, so hey, here, here's seven guys. Seven guys. They're quality guys. They're guys with integrity. They're full of the Holy Spirit, and they're full of wisdom. Let's get them plugged into ministry. Let's get them doing what, what you know, this so that they're involved in the ministry now. They're helping as well. And, you know, see, the thing is, God's plan is for everyone to be involved in ministry. Everyone. And these seven men were ideal for the job. And the reason they were ideal for the job is because the apostles had been doing their job. Follow me with this. The apostles... Priority one was to teach and to preach the Word of God so that Christ could be formed in them and they might become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That was the apostles' priority one. And because, of they, were, because they were doing that, these seven men were in a position to be able to stand up and take the job. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with wisdom because... They sat under the apostles' teaching while Christ was formed in them. See, that's something that happens over time. It's something that happens with regularity, little by little, as we sit under the teaching of the Word. If you're a believer and you're regularly sitting under the teaching of the Word, and taking it to heart, 
and incorporating it into your life, Christ is being formed in you. You may not see it. Because it's not like we go home one Sunday, wow, what a powerful service. You know, worship was just, you know, man, the Spirit of God was in the place. And what a powerful message. And all of a sudden, our lives change from, you know, it's like we take this huge leap. No. We come and we worship. The Word is taught. And we grow a little bit. And we come the next week and we worship. And the word is taught. And we grow a little bit. It's little by little, week by week. Okay? If you go to, go to uh, uh, work out, say, I want to build up, you know, my, my biceps. So you start lifting weights. Start pumping, you know, you start off, you know, struggling to get that 10 pounds. Oh! <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, you're, 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 you're lifting weights, okay? You don't go to the gym once and then go back and all of a sudden you've got these bulging biceps, right? You don't go to the gym once a month and then you're, you, know, you go home and you've got these bulging biceps, right? You go day after day after day, several days a week to work out to build those muscles, it's the same thing spiritually. We grow in Christ, and when Christ is formed in us little by little as we, as we receive the teaching of the Word of God and we begin to practice it. You know, I've been, I, I, I've been since I gave my life to Christ, it'll be 40 years this summer. Wow. 40 years this summer. I can't remember one time where I went to church, and I came home, and I feel like I grew in leaps and bounds. All of a sudden, I'm so much farther along in my faith than what I was a day ago. No. But when I look back to where I was 40 years ago, there's been a lot of growth and a lot of change. But I can't pinpoint one thing. It's because every week I sit under teaching. 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 And I grow just a little bit. And I grow a little bit more. And I grow a little bit more. And a little bit more week by week by week. Now you say, well, wait a minute, you're the one doing the teaching, you're, pra you're, you're, you're preaching. Yeah, that's right. And that's why I listen to other teachers through the week as well. I am in the Word, I study it, I read it, and I'm also listening to others to feed me, that I can, that I can grow. When I get a chance, which isn't very often, I like to visit... You know, if I'm out of town, I like to visit other churches when I can and sit under that teaching. And it's not like I pick one here and one here. I've got a few that I listen to on a, on a, on a regular basis that help me grow because it's a steady diet. You know, I may go and, and you know, over here and this guy's, you know, serving, you know, a strawberry shortcake. Wow, that was really good. I love that. And then... I go over here the next time because I hear they're having strawberry shortcake. 
And I love strawberry shortcake. I love it. You know, so, you know, like, whoa, you know, here. And it's like, hey, I heard this place over here is doing it. They're, they're, they're serving it. So I show up early for this one because I, I, you know, I just, but soon something happens and I, you know, my health begins to deteriorate because I'm not getting all the other stuff. The proteins, you know, the meats, the vegetables. <laughs> I like some vegetables. They're good. No, God didn't create Brussels sprouts. That was a mutation of something. I don't know what. Something that grows in your shoe, I think. Anyway, <laughs> these men were full of wisdom, and they developed that wisdom you know, by, by sitting under the apostles' teaching. If the disciples had spent all their time waiting tables rather than preaching the word, the men would not have become mature believers and would not have been ready to step into that place when it was time. But instead, they had said, they sat under that teaching and they were ready, they matured, and, and the time came and they were able to step into the ministry that God had for them. They were growing in their faith. They were committed to, to living like Christ. In the, and, and, and then the time was right, they plugged them into the area of ministry. Here's what I'm saying with all this. If your plate is too full, it's not that God wants you to just start tossing stuff out. You know, forget these spinning plates. I'm just going to start, just going to knock them all out. Because I've seen people do that. You know, just forget it all. He just wants you to find a way to share some of those spinning plates with others. Okay? If you have too many plates spinning, maybe you've started spinning some plates that you were never meant to spin. Or maybe it's time to, you know, hand off some of those plates so that you can focus on what's priority over here. Maybe your job was to get those plates spinning for a while so that then you could hand them off to somebody else. Don't try to do everything yourself. Look for others who can share some of what you're doing. Look for someone that you can recruit to help. Who's someone that's around me that can come along and help me and maybe learn to do something that I'm doing and then I can hand off that plate to them. See, this boils down to this. The key to learning, with, to, to, to dealing with too many spinning plates and the chaos that that brings in our lives is not to just stop spinning plates but to start spinning the right plates and then to recruit others to help you spin plates. It's not to just back out from doing anything. It's to do the things that God wants you to do. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2.10, God has created us anew in Christ. Why? So we can do the th good things that he planned for us long ago. God's plan is, in, is that everyone be involved in ministry, all of his people. He has things for you to do. He has things for me to do. He has ministry for you to do. He's put you and I here for a reason. The question is, are you doing what he's planned from long ago for you to do? Are you doing those things? Are you doing that ministry that he's got for you to do? Say, well, I, 
not doing ministry because I can't add another spinning plate. Well, maybe there's some other plates you're spinning that you need to just not spin anymore. Say, what could that possibly be? I don't know. TV shows, all kinds of things that we do that just take us away. And I'm not saying cut out everything. I'm just saying that all of us have 24 hours every day, and it's how we manage it. That, you know, maybe we're not getting proper rest. I, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's things that we can change in our schedule. You don't have to keep all the plates spinning, just the ones God has given you to spin. If you're not involved in ministry, I would say, who can you come alongside to help? What ministry is, you know, is, is, is um, um, just, just really excites you, that you're passionate about? What would you like to be doing? If you are involved in ministry, I would say who's around you that you can bring alongside and teach them to do what you're doing. The worship team, come on up.